1: Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the -the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish.
2: Are you a speaker or trainer who would love to take your speaking to a completely new level of excellence and impact? If so, join me at ahacenter.com. Theaha That's T-H-E-A-H-A-Center.com. Hello, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Barry Moniak, And Dr. Jen Gonzalez. You've heard them before because we did an episode several, several, actually a couple months ago from when we recorded this on sex and mindfulness. And the feedback was, we got to keep this conversation going. Like we have to do a part two of this discussion. And that's what we are doing today. Now you can learn all about these two brilliant individuals at our website, EverydayMindfulnessShow.com. But right now, we're going to get right into this conversation. Last time we started talking about how do people get more comfortable and freeing themselves of that judgment, being mindful of just being present in the moment. And we had some funny discussions, you know, of, for instance, I remember the one part that really stuck out was that thought of some people are very apparent of the genitalia. Not some, a lot of people are very aware or fearful of judgment of the genitalia. It could be whether the penis is large enough. It could be, is it too large? It could be whether the vulva looks a certain way or the lips too prolonged or too, you know, or they don't look the way other people's, it could be anything. And how people think about, oh, what if my partner going to think of that? And we were laughing about the irony is that, the partner's not really staring at those things while things are happening. They're doing things <laughs> with those parts. They're they're enjoying, but they're not really staring and analyzing. Now, they, the irony is you might do that like afterwards or before, like when you're just standing around if you're new in front of someone, but not <laughs> normally in a moment of intimacy. And we all started laughing over the, how you know real that was, that it's weird that we have these fears. And we said we really need to dive deeper into people being more free and open about exploration and what they want to explore, whether it be a sexual act or with themselves or a partner. So let's go there. Uh, Jen, we're going to start with you. And, and most people know you as Dr. Jen, because this is what you do. How do you think we help people get to there? And let's get specific today. What are you, for instance, let's start with an example of a sexual act that people don't want to talk about or are fearful of judgment
3: of, yet want to engage in, like find it pleasurable. Well, actually, I was kind of thinking, even stepping it back, just even more basic than even a sexual act, I'm just thinking about the act of being nude and just being naked around other people, you know, and you use that example of our genitals and that, you know, we're so sure if somebody's like, you know, head is up in there that they're analyzing them and looking at them, but, you know, that's our own, you know, our own self-consciousness just with the acceptance of our full body as the way just, you know, accepting it as exactly as it is and all its, its you know, supposed flaws and beauty. And so I think part of why, mm, you know, some sexual acts, a piece of why some sexual acts are so uncomfortable is because we just have a general discomfort with nudity in our society overall and not understanding, you know, just what a natural, you know, part of, of you know, and other societies can look at it. It's just a natural part of who we are and how we're born and there's not, we don't have to have shame around it. So and I think this is on my mind because I've done, like, I did a somewhat naked retreat this summer. Um, and I've been to Black's Beach in San Diego, which is our nude beach, several times and even hosted an event there. And so I think I've just been looking at it for myself even. Like, oh, my gosh, the more comfortable I am just in general of accepting my body exactly as it is and and moving through spaces. And whether it's with an intimate partner or with strangers or with friends and just being like, dude, we've all got it, like, we've all got naked bodies, like, and they all look completely different, you know, when you're exposed to spaces where lots of people are naked, like a nude beach, like, oh my gosh, the body shapes and sizes are all totally different, and after about a half hour, you just kind of stop noticing, and you're just like, oh yeah, we've all got it, and so it takes, it takes the titillation out of it, but it takes the shame out of it, and I think that's just fundamental to, I don't know, just a lot of embarrassment and shame around bodies overall.
2: And I, well, I think we might have mentioned this last time, but I was walking through an airport. I think it was a few months ago, and somebody's wearing a shirt that said, "Under here, I'm naked."
3: And <laughs> I thought
2: that is brilliant because everybody in this airport is naked under there, you know. So it's just it's so brilliant, and and that's where we did explore. We've had, we've had a couple episodes on the show about being naked. And the comfort of the body, and now how do you how do you bring that over to the sexual discussion? And you know, I I remember just this weekend we were having a little outing at our house, and we're doing a campfire, and it was adults around the campfire late at night, and several related, so we're related. And I remember my cousin's wife saying, oh, yeah, I wouldn't care being naked in front of, you know, family, that kind of a thing. Like, we're all, you know, we're all good. We're all laid back. And I thought, wow, a lot of our family would be, you know, like, I." but maybe that's a preconceived <laughs> notion that I have, you know. But but I know a lot of people go, well, that's just weird. You know, that just sounded it's family, right? But the fact is, it's like she was saying, it's just the body. Like, you know, so I think you're 100% on. So since, if we can get to that place of understanding that's our body, how do we help people get now comfortable with, with the, the acts of sexual engagement and sexual acts. How do we take that step?
0: Well, it's interesting what what Jen was pointing at, because I've had experiences in in a a nudist type environment. And and you're right. As soon as that immediate shock of, oh, I finally get to see people naked fleets (laughs) by, the reality that sets in, I have no idea who you are, anything about you. The only thing I know is what you look like naked. And that's not enough to really engage me on a human level, certainly not on a sexual level. Mm. And I think maybe that's where having those kinds of experiences might help because now I want to have a sexual interaction with someone. I might be more apt to look at what's on the inside rather than the outside because when I talk to people who are having healthy, enjoyable sexual relations, they talk more about the internal experience, not how they were rubbing up against certain body parts. Well, right, that comfort
2: level is everything, right? The ability ability to let go, right, the ability to let go, and that's the preconceived judgments, all that, to let go, be fully present in the moment to what we are sharing, what is a mutual experience. And I think that's the big challenge right there, that when we get in our heads, it's a singular experience, right? And what I mean by that, it doesn't mean there's not multiple partners. And when I say multiple, for a lot of people, that's two, but some, it's more. It doesn't mean that they aren't thinking about the partner, but they're either thinking of the partner or themselves. They're not thinking mutually. In other words, what am I doing for that person? Or what are they doing for me versus what are we sharing here? Oh my gosh, just let's enjoy this. let us That's a different conversation and it really impacts sexual engagement and sexual acts. Go ahead. Well, I,
3: I think so too. Like, you know, what that's leading me to is like, so, you know, to get back to your original question of what do we do in various sexual acts that we want to do that we may be uncomfortable with. And I think, you know, because because we're not good with naked bodies, because we have a lot of sexual taboos in our society, because we have fear and embarrassment and shame and stigma. You know, that pops up for all of us in various ways. And I think we, we then feel like isolated in our heads with it. Like, oh, I'm worried about this. Am I doing this well enough or whatever? And then it just becomes this script that's running in our head versus what would it look like to actually voice that to your partner? You know, because anytime we're vulnerable it bridges gaps between people. It helps us connect with others. So in those moments, if you want to try something new, if you're doing something or and you say, you know what? I'm actually feeling a little nervous here. Or like, I'm not quite sure what you want or you like that ownership mm-hmm. of that awkward moment, that ownership of your discomfort. And instead of letting it be a shame moment that you bury your head in the sand. And then therefore, you know, you end up kind of, emotionally and and energetically pulling back from your partner and then your partner might feel it and then be like oh shoot he was down looking at my genitals oh he they must be ugly what was he thinking like we have no idea we make all these stories around it instead of just calling out what is like I'm a little nervous right now or I'm a little worried what you think about me or I'm not quite sure what to do here and just that that raw honest vulnerability being like, Hey, we're all in this together, but we're trying to enjoy ourselves here. So let's be a team with it.
2: Well, and the irony of that is that if you vote, if you're in a healthy situation, a truly mutual healthy situation, and you say, Oh, I, I want to ask this question, but I'm afraid to your partner's almost <laughs> always going to be like, ask the question, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> Ask the right. question and and they might react like, whoa, whoa, I'm, that ain't happening. It, the mistake then is when we go, oh, geez, I'm weird for asking that in our heads. We might not say it out loud. We might even say it out loud. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Ask that instead of going, okay, okay, that's cool. We make it about us instead of not recognizing, oh, that person does not want to do that right now. And that's totally cool. That's totally okay. Instead, we're like, "Oh my gosh, uh, am I? Was I just that? Was totally inappropriate or weird? Or they're not gonna like me anymore?" You asked a question. They didn't want to do it. It's okay. All's good. You know, and understanding that.
0: The defining thing, Mike, is I don't believe all. I would even go so far as to say most relationships are not in that healthy of a place. So when you say something or ask for information, input, feedback. It doesn't always play well, and that's what confuses people is, okay, I want to be more open, I want to be more present, but when I do that, it doesn't get me where I was hoping to go. Well, and I think that's an important, go ahead, Dr. Jean, yep.
3: Well, I was going to say, and I wonder if there's a specific way we could, like, train ourselves to approach those conversations, you know, to just sit down with our partner and be like, so I've got something on my mind. It's in the sexual realm. I know that can be uncomfortable for both of us. There's something I wanted to bring up. I know this might make you feel uncomfortable. Please know that's not my intent. But I do ask that you're mindful of, you know, your reaction as well. And whether it's a yes or a no or a maybe, I'm going to honor you and thank you for taking care of yourself. But can we give ourselves some space here, just kind of some calm, non-reactive space for me to just throw some ideas about out just to kind of see how they hit you and what you think without any... We, I'm not saying we have to do these things. Um, I'm not putting you on the spot, but I just kind of wanted to scratch the surface and can we be very kind and mindful with each other and how we approach this conversation?
0: If we were to enter into relationships that we would like to, or are going in the direction of being sexual, that we ask ourselves and each other and the relationship, some of those kinds of questions, are we the kind of couple that could have those conversations easily and comfortable, or am I already getting signs that it's like, this is gonna be next to impossible to talk to you about really important, profound things,
2: Well, and I think there's, we, you might not be the couple yet to have this conversation comfortably. Are you willing to take the possibility? Right. So yeah. it may be very, yeah. it may be very uncomfortable to start And me. And that's why I loved the language you use there, Jen was, you know, whatever you answer. Yes. No, maybe I'm going to honor <laughs> that. And I'm going to be okay with that. And maybe I'm going to throw some stuff out that I'm not interested in, but maybe by me throwing it out, you are. And I want to know that, you know, cause then it's not about, Oh, whatever I list is what I want. Yeah. I'm trying to explore what you want. Also, this is a mutual experience and you keep coming back to that word. Uh, so if you're a couple listening going, geez, I don't know if I could have that conversation with my partner, then say, all right, would you at least broach the idea of having the conversation with your partner? (laughs) You know, like, would you say, what would it take for us to get to this place where we could ask for any sexual act and not fear the, your reaction or my reaction? Your partner might be like, well, let's ask, let's talk now. Well, but I want to make sure that if I say it, you don't expect it to happen. I just want to know where we're feeling. And you have to be totally just whatever you fear saying, it's almost like say that because either way yes. it lets your partner react to it. Yeah.
3: Exactly. As yeah. long as
2: it's respectful, I shouldn't say whatever you fear saying, say that okay. if it's respectful, right? If you're just being rude or blunt to the point of it's all about me, well, I wish you'd do this to me. That's not going to necessarily be productive or healthful, but if you could right. do it in a respectful, loving way, say whatever you fear.
3: Yeah, and that's well, I- true. Like the way you say it too, because if you're like, so I want to say something, but my fear in this moment is that you're going to be a jerk <laughs> and, and make me feel bad for it versus, hey, I want to say something, it's vulnerable. My fear is that like, mm, this is going to be really uncomfortable between us. And I'm nervous that you might look at me differently. You know, like that's a much more tactful way of calling out your fear in the moment versus, you know, already pointing a finger and blaming your partner.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're fearing, if they hear you, so well, I think you're, you're going to think I'm a jerk. I'm weird. I'm like, the partner right there is losing their libido, right? Cause now they're being attacked. Right. So they're like, break, okay, break. why are we doing this? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Like, uh, And, and age plays a role here. Maturity plays a role here.
0: Experience.
2: Oh my gosh. Because, you know, you can think back to a younger person or, and I think it's not necessarily age. I think it's closer to experience or years of experience and in healthy versus unhealthy. You, yeah. talk to, you talk to somebody who's young and you say something wrong to them, they might still be in the mood. Like, it's not going to kill them. They're going to be like, <laughs> all right, whatever, you know, but you're in your forties and your partner says something, you're like, okay, it's over. That is not happening. Now. That's a, and they have to really work mentally at getting back in the experience where a young person's like, hey, I'm ready to go. Like, say whatever you want to say. There's a different mentality there sometimes also.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, years back I did couples counseling for about a decade and I was pretty amazed at what goes on in so many relationship dynamics. I tend to associate with people who I believe are more open-minded, forward thinking. So there's a little bit more of a common understanding of, of what's possible. But when I was working with just regular couples, It was easier for them to have these kinds of conversations with someone other than their intimate partner. For some reason, having them with that most intimate person, there was so much expectation and projected fear that it wasn't easy for them to do what we're saying. Oh, we'll just say this or approach it this way. To them, it was next to impossible.
3: Yeah. I've heard that a lot, you know, over the years from couples who cheat. And, you know, one of the reasons is like, well, yeah, I really wanted to try some new sexual things. I didn't feel like it was safe with my wife or my husband. And, you know, I found someone who did want to have, you know, anal sex with me, say, because that's a specific one that I've heard folks reference. And it's like, and and I get, like, I get both sides of it. And of course, I never, you know, condone or encourage folks to cheat. Um, But that is funny because it's so scary because they don't want to not be with their life partner. They love that person. They love their family. They respect them so much. But, right, but fear leads the way. And, I mean, and both sides have a responsibility for creating contexts like that where you can't talk about topics like that. But, like, that's very real in our society, when we never learn how to negotiate through difficult sexual topics, I mean, even easy sexual topics, we don't necessarily know how to actually talk through in a frank way.
2: Yes, I mean, people struggle with talking about: Do you like it fast? Do you like it? Do you like it slow? Because you know, what the problem here is the impact of society. I'm just going to pause this for one second because I want to let everyone listening know about one of our amazing sponsors. This week's episode is sponsored by the book, Can I Kiss You?, and the instructor's guide of Can I Kiss You? For many listeners know, this is the book that I wrote last year came out. We were thrilled because it went number one on Amazon for teen and young adult dating. And it is filled, just packed with how-to skill sets for anyone to read of any age. We used to have a certain age group and people said, will you stop doing that? I have a middle schooler that I want to read this book, or I'm 45 single. I need to read this book. And we've had people who are married going, it's helped change my relationship. And that's why we're we're excited. This is this week's sponsor, the Can I Kiss You book. And if you're a teacher, the instructor's guide. You can find both at datesafeproject.org. That's datesafeproject.org. Or you can call Rita in our offices at 800-329-9390. That's this week's sponsor. If you were to watch the internet or the media, you'd have this one, you'd have a heteronormative discussion. It's always men and women for the most part. And it's this idea that men want to go fast, 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 like a jackrabbit, right? And that that women want that slow ride, that kind of thing. Well, you'll talk to women who go, don't, are you kidding me? That is annoying as all get out. If you do that, like, <laughs> come on, make this thing happen. And you'll have other guys yeah. going, the last thing I want to do is be like, because I want this thing to last because it might not happen yeah. again for another week. <laughs> so like, so and you know, you hear these opposite sides. And then if you're a guy with a guy or a woman with a woman, you're like, where am I in this conversation? There's nobody having this publicly, but we're still putting those same stereotypes based on gender. So yeah, it's, it's really ironic that we get caught up in what is just the societal norms that we hear about on a topic no one talks about. That's the well, irony.
0: I found that the couples that were having a really hard time talking about these, these sexual things, they were also having issues talking about other intimate things like who are we as a couple and, and what's our, our lifestyle and, and where are we going to be, you know, 10, 20 years from now So there was a breakdown in communication across the board. So there were these deep feelings of, you know, I love you and I never want to lose you, but I'm not going to talk to you about so many of the important things in life. And I'm like, okay, this is weird.
3: I've seen that link a couple of times specifically with finances. So yeah, couples that specifically the intimacy of discussing finances and money, it's very vulnerable. You know, if you have different approaches to it and that, um, and discussions about the intimacy and vulnerability of sex can go hand in hand and with that. And whether
0: they have an abundance of money or a lack of money, it's yeah. still just a similar kind of yes. problem. Yes, right,
2: right, right. Yeah. So I thought I thought earlier you gave a great skill set, Jen, when you talked about, hey, can we talk about this? And and I want to do it without fear. I'm afraid you might react, and I want you to be aware of that. So I love that it's specific language you gave there. Let's try to give our let's try to give the listeners some more skill sets. For instance, a common perception out there is that if you bring, you brought up anal, if somebody brings up something like anal with their partner, that if their partner reacts like, ugh, ugh, it the conversation's over instead of further exploration. So I don't mean your partner says, no, I don't ever want to do that. And you don't honor that. I'm saying the partner's just like, ugh, that just sounds gross to me. And you give up on the conversation instead of saying, well, what part's gross? Yeah. And then you get to explore and they'll be like, well, maybe there'll be stuff on, you know, and you go, okay. So like if, if somebody used protection, uh, and whatever, what kinds of protection would we be more comfortable with? What would it look like afterwards so you don't have to touch other parts? If that's your fear, so you don't have to touch other yeah. parts. Are we good with you just hopping out of bed and running to the bathroom? Like, are you cool <laughs> with that? Right. So just to explore, uh, having those conversations, don't you, Jen, do you find that that's really important of not just going, oh, Ooh, gross, but yes. well, what would it look like if this were to happen? And if it's just a no, I, I honor that. But if you're saying, right. oh, it just sounds gross, maybe there's a way we can figure this out.
3: And I love, like, you got, you broke that down to the nitty gritty there. And that's so often what we don't do in sexual conversations. One, maybe because we don't even have the education or the knowledge to know. You know, for example, you just know, like, okay, ooh, ooh, anal sex. Okay, so did you learn that somewhere? Did you hear that somewhere? Have you had an experience with it? Do you have fear? You know, and so what is it? Is it... Is it dirty because you were, you know, raised religious and you heard that? Or or are you afraid that it's going to hurt? Or is it just a new terrain and you feel really um, uncomfortable and scared? Or like, there's so much nitty gritty of the physical, mental, emotional, social, you know, potentially spiritual aspects of it. And to genuinely and kindly, you know, to gently ask those probing questions, probing, haha, little pun there, Um, (laughs) to ask those Proving questions now sometimes people get defensive around that because they just want to be knee-jerk self-righteous in their shutting down of a conversation but if you can kindly be like hey I am not trying to make you feel bad I'm just genuinely curious what this means to you and what's going on and if this really is a no for you like I am I am willing to let that go but are you okay just being in a little dialogue around it uh, that's such a beautiful approach
0: I love that in a lot of sex therapy, there's so much talk and we've mentioned it a couple of times today about getting out of our heads and quit yeah, thinking no. so much and quit projecting so much. And yet when we look at the, uh, the literature being produced by the more sexual sciences, they've been telling us forever that the brain is the most erogenous zone of our body. And so how do we help people get out of their intellectual heads? And into the part that could actually make it more potent, more enjoyable.
3: Yeah, so I think it's a balancing of making sure that we do have that, you know, kind of intellectual heady approach of being, first of all, of understanding as many sexual topics as we can and doing our research and reading the books. And also that kind of cognitive empathy of being able to stand in our partner's shoes. Um, and being able to understand and being able to ask those questions in that way. But then, yeah, otherwise, that I think that kind of fundamental mindfulness piece of dropping into our body. And so, like, any time we're having all of the type of discussions we talked about today are all really awkward and uncomfortable. And so I encourage people to be like, literally, where do you feel that in your body? Where do you feel that discomfort? Where do you feel that shame? When you want to shut down this conversation right now, can you stay in it just ten more seconds? And literally, where do you feel your body, you know, closing down? And so that level of mindful somatic awareness and presence in the moment, because it's those feelings around uncomfortable sexual topics that are mostly what make us shut down these conversations, because they are so ugh, icky and awkward in our bodies. And when we can gain skills to stay present with those. And in just little bits of pieces, like I said, even if it's just 10 seconds of being like, okay, I'm going to make the choice to stay in this. I'm not going to die. I can breathe into this discomfort and getting really clear on where that discomfort is. In the long run, the more we do that, that is so incredibly empowering because we now learned how to stay present and make a choice that we didn't have before.
2: And create a space in the home or wherever you are where everything else is cleared out before you enter that bedroom. Right. Because if you're coming in yes. there with f- the financial stress we talked about earlier yeah. or other things that you need to say before the end of the day to your partner, you feel like these have to be cleared out. If they're in your head, walk into that room, you know, somebody can be naked in front of you and who turns you on normally and you're not there. Right. right. And anybody who's been in a long term enough relationship has been there. You've walked in. Yeah. You're naked. The partner's not even looking. And you're like, well, not nice? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right, here, right here, right here, So every most people, I shouldn't say everyone, most people experience that at some time or another. And what it is is they didn't clear their minds before they entered the bedroom. They brought it to the bedroom. Not that it's unhealthy, but it is to the sexual sexual intimacy. It is. So if you were to say, well, I was looking forward to having this conversation. We're finally alone in the bedroom. Uh, okay, but that then you have to understand that's probably going to impact the immediate concept of sexual intimacy at the same time. Maybe there's another space we could have these conversations, not in the bedroom. I've always loved the literature that says the bedroom's for two things and anything else in there belongs somewhere else. Uh, And so you create this wonderful space of either rest and or passion and that the mind knows that when it walks in there and or both, right? And so, but allowing ourselves to have that space is so, so important.
3: Yeah, and I think that transition also, like if you find yourself and you're moving, you want to move into a sexual encounter with your partner, but you're still in your head about your day or finances or stress or whatever. I mean, one, you have to want to make the choice to let those things go and know that you can come back to them in an hour. And then two, I think even something just some sort of movement, you know, your partner's like naked there and you're like, oh crap, like you want this and I am so not in that headspace. but I really do want to connect with you. I'd say consciously choose to put on some good music, dance together, move like anything that gets you out of your head and present in your body in an enjoyable, sensual way can help be a transition then in moving into a sexual realm. Well,
2: and then being goofy makes sexual intimacy so much more fun, right? I mean, it makes so much more. If you're in a healthy sexual situation, don't get me wrong. If you're always being goofy, that's going to get annoying. But, you know, but (laughs) if it it, it helps kickstart something, hey, give it a shot, right? I mean, it's fun to be able to do that. Where are areas that you think people still are getting hung up in specifically with their sexual acts, with their sexual choices? Where do you think are the hangups?
0: It has to do with separatism. There's me and there's you, and then we're going to come together and, and rub up against one another or push or interact. And when I Sounds read so stuff sexy, that was out of tantric <laughs> rub teachings up teaching. from thousands of years ago, there's three components to a sexual interaction there's you, there's me, and there's us. Yeah. And it seems like most people leave out the us. And I think that's where the real mindfulness comes in, is we're connecting on very, very deep levels. And am I holding an awareness of that? You know, it, there's something about, yes, all the, the external ambiances and that whole exoteric world. But what about that esoteric? How am I touching you internally? How am I showing up with you internally most people when I have those kinds of conversations with them, you can see them kind of glaze over like, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: Well, and it's interesting, I know I know how that shows up for and, and I don't know for, for all genders, all orientations or identities, but I know in conversations that I've had, specifically in this case with men who say, you know what, when my partner is performing all I, six, I can't go sometimes. And it's not that I don't love what they're doing, that in my head then if I go, then they don't get to. And I feel selfish for letting this happen if I go. And so I'm just going to let them do that to the point that I'm going to then do them. And, and then the partner's going, why wouldn't you ever let me do you? And it's this weird dichotomy of they, they both want to feel like it's too one-sided because they're forgetting the us, Right.
3: And it's, yeah. And I recommend people like to really be, because I've seen a, a switch Um, sometimes in some younger men, which is like lovely, they've been so trained to be like, okay, no, if I'm a good lover, um, I make my, I get my partner off and that's, that's what makes me a good (laughs) lover or yeah. Or I just prioritize that. And that's like, that's so great. That's so nice. We have that awareness and that switch in gender roles. Um, but I always encourage folks. I'm like, part of being a good lover is also being selfish And that you are fully in tune with what's going on in your body and with the pleasure and knowing that you deserve it. But we need to be able to choose when we move between those two states. You know, and am I fully giving? Am I fully receiving? Or am I choosing to be a blend of the two? But to know that those are three really different states and it's okay to inhabit all three of them as long as, you know, there's a balance in the big picture of it.
2: Yes. And to know that, know that if your partner really wants that, and I'm not talking all the time, because all the time is unhealthy. Like if it's one sided all the time, that's unhealthy. But if your partner saying, I just want to do this for you just to just let me do this. That's a gift to your partner also, right? Because they're there's there going, yeah. let me have this experience of bringing you this. Now, once again, if it's one sided, we're in a different discussion, but if this, you want to be able to do that. And so once again, I think it was, we, we get into the, the, as we're about to wrap up the show here, what are things that you think are pivotal skill sets and or resources for people to help take those conversations to a healthy place where they can get into these places they haven't maybe been able to get into in the past?
3: Well, I have a a tool that I think is really helpful. And because I know part of the reasons we wanted to do this part two is that we did want to get more into the nitty gritty um, and specific sexual topics and, and acts that people don't talk about. So it, um, folks can like Google checklists, like checklists of sexual acts. And there's some really great tools out there that you could print it out for you and your partner. You can even do it online. And it is, some of them are so detailed about so many different aspects of sexual acts, of, you know, some of it's kinky and BDSM and power play and sex toys, and public things, and like all these different aspects of of fantasy, and thinking outside the box, and creativity around sexuality, and so if you really want to delve into spicing things up with your partner, or exploring fantasies, printing out this checklist, and then you can rank things, like totally zero, I totally don't want it, five, I really want this, maybe a, a one or two is like I have some interest, but I have some fears as well, or I need to learn more about this. And then you've both been really vulnerable by putting yourself out there of where your interests are. And then you could put the list together and then you could sit down and be like, so what, what does that mean to you? And what's your interest in that? And then vice versa. And so you're both in this, this raw space of sharing um, your likes and dislikes and then creating that safe space for each other.
2: Jen, would you feel comfortable being able to send us maybe a couple examples of ones you think are great? And we'll provide those links to the show notes yeah. for everyone. Yeah, awesome. For we'll, sure. Yes, I'll All right. So, so anyone listening, you can go to the show notes. You're going to find those on, at everydaymindfulness.com on today's episode. Barry, what would you like to share, a skill set to help people really go into those places of conversation and or sexual acts?
0: The, the differentiation between an exoteric sex act and an esoteric sexual energy. Because walking into the room and saying, okay, now the experience begins, and now we enter into foreplay and do whatever we're gonna do, that's how a lot of people, maybe Mm -hmm. even most people, do it. In the tantric traditions, the foreplay is going on 24 Mm -hmm. seven. If if we're already in that kind of an intimate sexual relationship, it doesn't get turned off unless we turn it off. So while you're at work and I'm at work, while we're sitting at dinner together, while we're watching a movie together, that sexual energy is already happening. And if we paid more attention to that all the time or along the way, then those sexual acts are going to be much more potent, much more profound because they're a celebration of our connectedness rather than something we're trying to manufacture at the moment.
2: I have found that every time we, as in Karen and I, when, and I'm curious, you two have found the same thing. When you go to some life transformational experience with your partner, like we've done a self-development program once together and you're coming back after that, It's just at a more intense level because the vulnerability you've already shared with each other, the openness, it's there. And Mm -hmm. what the key is how do we create that in our everyday life? And I think these are great tools to do that, is creating that that reconnection throughout the day. It is so important. Jen, right now you're doing Stay Sexy San Diego. And every day you post a picture, an image (laughs) about San Diego. And... You did one. At, I think it was at Beards Beach where and you at were. Black Beach. Black's yeah. Beach, sorry. Black Beach where you did. A, somebody took a picture of you from behind. I think you had shorts or trunks on, but the top was bare. But it was from behind. So nothing could be seen.
3: That was actually hiking. So that wasn't right. even black okay, Beach. Okay. So that, that was hiking. hiking. That was hiking. Yeah. That's right.
2: And it was at like the the back in front of you. And I'm sure people looked at it and went, well, that's very sexual. And some people are like, how dare you say that's sexual? But at the same time, you're like, yes, if that's my partner. I want them, that's okay if they see that and go, oh, I love that body. That, yes, that's fun and playful, right? It's it's how it's healthy and it's sexual versus sexualizing everything. There's a difference there. Uh, and that, yeah. right, is not there a difference? Would you say that's true well, or?
3: Yeah, I mean, in my intent with this, you know, 31 Days of Sexy San Diego that I'm doing on social media right now, my intent is to get at the essence of what's sexy. And so we have this very kind of, you know, superficial body-based, you know, type of thing of what we think sexy is, but to me, I'm like, what is the essence of sexy, and the essence of sexy is, like, present in the moment, and connecting with people, and, like, the strength, and the capacity of our body, and appreciating that, and just this, like sensuality of, you know, that's in, in all and beauty and appreciation that's available in every moment and deeply connecting with others in that way. And so, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, redefining and reclaiming sexy as I'm doing this. And I, I think that speaks to what Barry said too. You know, you're moving about your day and all of a sudden you're supposed to flip a switch and be like sexy mode. And you're like, yeah, no, but where's this deep connection and this appreciation and this yeah, this energy state of how you're, you're connecting to others. Like that's sexy. Like that's a life force to live off of.
2: Yes. And it's why people who it's why people who bring an in energy into a room are so attractive to others
0: yeah. because that yeah.
2: energy is so sexy that energy. Yeah. So you, you ask yourself, well, what could I do? Put on a different pair of underwear than you would normally wear to work. <laughs> right? That, that, you know, is under there, whether it be negative, whatever it is that makes you feel, yeah, I'm wearing that right now. You know, that type of thing and know that that's for later. On. Maybe that is for 12 hours later, but to know that that you're putting that on intentionally and then I'm going to yes. own that. Right. And that's fun and playful. Would that be a good example?
0: Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You're getting yourself into a different mindset and you're just, you're taking ownership of like, You know what? I'm a sexy sexual being. And even if no one else is thinking that right now, I'm thinking it about myself. Yeah.
2: I think that's key because some people are listening going, why would I do that at work? Hey, Mike, you you're against sexual harassment. Why would yeah, because you're not doing it for the fellow employees. They shouldn't know (laughs) what's under your outfit. (laughs) That That is for you. Now, if you're walking around going, I wore some sexy underwear today, (laughs) we've got problems. Okay. So you're going to have problems. It's for you. And that's really the key here. I think that's an awesome way to end it too. What are you doing for you? It's something for everyone to think about. Thank you both for everyone listening around. Remember, you can check out Dr. Jen Barrymoniac at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes already subscribed then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show two while on itunes download all the latest episodes three reviews help more people find out about the show would you please go into itunes and write a review doing so helps spread the mission of the show thanks
1: We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. And check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.